You are listening to the audio podcast of Gethsemane Baptist Church, located in Long Beach, California, pastored by Eli Reynolds. This is uh, the story that we're going to draw some spiritual applications from tonight and uh, look at light from the Lord and uh, make some applications in our lives from the salvation testimony of the Apostle Paul. He later became the Apostle Paul. He's Saul at the time. And so if I uh, call him Paul accidentally during the, the message, you'll understand that uh, I mean Saul. That was his name at the time. It was later changed to Paul. So let's look when, in verse 1, Acts chapter 9. And Saul, yet breathing out threatenings and slaughter against the disciples of the Lord, went unto the high priest and desired of him letters to Damascus to the synagogues, that if he found any of this way, in other words, any Christians, whether they were men or women, he might bring them bound unto Jerusalem. Now we also know earlier, a few chapters earlier in the book of Acts, chapter 5, Stephen was stoned to death, the first martyr of the church. And Paul, we find out from his own testimony later on, I think in one of the Corinthian books, that he was holding the coats of those who were doing the stoning. So he was there at the stoning of Stephen, and no doubt that left an impression in his mind. He never got over that. And the Holy Spirit is working in his heart as the Holy Spirit worked in all of our hearts when we uh, came to know the Lord. We were under conviction first, right? So let's continue reading in verse 3. And as he journeyed, he came near Damascus, and suddenly there shined round about him a light from heaven. And he fell to the earth and heard a voice saying unto him, Saul, Saul. Why persecutest thou me? And he said, Who art thou, Lord? And the Lord said, I am Jesus, whom thou persecutest. It is hard for thee to kick against the pricks. And he, trembling and astonished, said, Lord, what wilt thou have me to do? And the Lord said unto him, Arise, and go into the city, and it shall be told thee what thou must do. And let's pray. Our Heavenly Father, Lord, this is uh, an awesome event that took place. It was uh, uh, many miracles were involved in this testimony of salvation, as was many miracles involved in our own salvation. So I pray tonight that we will relive our own experience and appreciate and praise you and thank you for the light that you've given us, for the work that you've done in our hearts. Help us never to get over it. Help us, Lord, tonight to make applications to our own lives through reliving this experience. And we'll thank you in Jesus' name. Amen. All right, so as you see, what I'm hoping to do tonight is, um, as, as the Bible says here, there was a light from heaven that shone around, but there are spiritual applications throughout this story. 
an amazing story. I mean, nobody's like Saul of Tarsus, who became the Apostle Paul. Nobody has the same testimony, but we all have a testimony if we know the Lord. And it's just as miraculous. And I, I want us to grab a hold of that thought tonight. If you will skip down to verse 17, I want to continue reading just a couple of more verses. And then we're going to dissect and, uh, and dig in. And we're going to do what Pastor has been teaching on the last few weeks. Uh, we're digging in, learning how to study the Word of God. That's what we did because I just found out that uh, Brother Robert, who was planning to, was scheduled to teach tonight, was not going to be here. So I, this is my daily devotions for today included Acts chapter 9. So I sat down this afternoon and said, Lord, this either works or it doesn't. <laughs> we either know how to get something from the Word of God, or we have a long ways to go to learn to do it. But I believe I did. I believe I said, Lord, this is what you planned all along. We just didn't know. Because this is something that, I mean, once every month, we schedule a time in our church, according to instructions from the Bible, to have the Lord's Supper. And it's a reminder, it's to tell us, relive your salvation. Relive when it happened even long before you even existed, you were saved. Because Christ died for your sins before you ever committed any sins. And so we relive our salvation even before we accepted it, right? But now we, we can also relive our salvation since we've accepted it, and we should, of course. So verses 17 and 18. Now, some things happen between verse 6 and verse 17, but, and we'll allude to some of those, but I want to focus on this. And Ananias went his way and entered into the house and put his hands upon him and said, Brother Saul, the Lord, even Jesus, that appeared unto thee in the way as thou camest, hath sent me, that thou mightest receive thy sight, because Paul had been stricken blind, and be filled with the Holy Ghost. And immediately there fell from his eyes, as it had been scales, and received sight forthwith, and arose, and was baptized. So a lot's going on here. A lot has happened. And, and some things happen in between there. And essentially, let me just sum up what happened. Ananias said... Lord, I know what you're telling me to do, but I don't want to do it. I'm scared to do it. You want me to go and confront Saul of Tarsus knowing who he is? I might be endangering my own life. And the Lord said, no, nah, don't worry about it. He's a chosen vessel. He's been changed. He's not the same person. And notice Ananias calls him Brother Saul, so he got the message. God convinced him that you got to go and see Paul. I'm, I'm working here, so you just let me work. Yes, it's miraculous. Less, yes, sometimes even scary. But you can trust me. You go do it. And so that's what happened. Now, the story 
is of a persecutor of the church, Saul of Tarsus. And uh, this story is one that we can identify with, and I hope that we will tonight when we recall our own salvation. The experience may have some differences, obvious differences, but I want to point out some of the things that, are, that we have in common with Saul of Tarsus. And number one, a vision of light from heaven. So the first point is vision. And uh, we see in verse 3 that he saw this light. And spiritually, we saw light. We had illumination of some truths, mainly that we're sinners, right? And we need a Savior. We need to be saved. Uh, so the light is from heaven. It's the true light. And how did Jesus answer Saul's question, who art thou, Lord? He said, I'm Jesus. I'm Jesus whom thou persecutest. And, you know, once we realize as Christians that we are persecutors. It becomes easier to take persecution. But he says, I'm Jesus whom thou persecutest. And then, of course, Saul responds right away and says, hey, uh, uh, he says, um, he, he, what happened was he was trembling he was astonished. He says, you know, this is crazy what's going on with me. Now, some people, when they get saved, they've been under conviction for a while. Maybe they've, you know, said no so many times that, you know, they knew eventually they were going to get saved, and they finally decide to, and it's not all that emotional on the outside. Sometimes people weep, and they break down because they've been under conviction, and, uh, and, you know, it's just a big ordeal. But it's not the experience. It's, it's not the reaction or the emotional side of it that makes the difference. That is important, I should say. It's the fact that we have faith where it needs to be. And so, uh, I want you to go to John chapter 8. And... Uh, because of this uh, vision of light that Saul saw, let's look elsewhere in the Bible where we see that Jesus is the light, the light of the world. He says in John chapter 8 and verse 12, I am the light of the world. He who followeth me shall not walk in darkness, but shall have the light of life. You see, we have here on earth a sun. It's the nearest star to us, and it's 93 million miles, which um, astronomers consider that one astronomical unit. So all the other planets are measured by how, by what, uh, how many astronomical units they are from the sun. So they're so much further than earth, most of them. They are... Uh, their distances are related to the distance between the sun and earth. When those that are short or that are closer to the sun, they're a fraction of an astronomical unit. Uh, and the sun 
is 864,000 miles in diameter across. Big. You could fit a million Earths inside the sun. That's how much bigger it is than Earth. And we have a pretty good a general idea how big the Earth is. Pretty big, right? I know everybody's always saying it's a small world, but it really is a pretty big world. Uh, the sun's very hot at the core. It is 28.8 million degrees Fahrenheit. I mean, I guess they can figure this pretty um, accurately somehow uh, because it's 28 million, 799,540 degrees. Not 541, 540. Um, but now let's look at a couple of other passages. And I know these are familiar passages, but they make the point very well, I think. Uh, Luke and Matthew both also remind us that uh, we are desperately uh, needy people of light and particularly the light of life. And so um, for months before Jesus was born, the father of John the Baptist, who was a cousin of Jesus, was filled with the Holy Spirit. He was a priest named Zacharias. Probably knew that. He began to prophesy about the baby whom he intended to name John and the coming Messiah. So I want you to look in Luke chapter 1 and verses 76 through 79. And this is what Zechariah says. Luke 1, starting with verse 76. And he's speaking about his own son, who is yet to be born, says, and thou, son, shalt be called the prophet of the highest, for thou shalt go before the face of the Lord to prepare his ways, to give knowledge of salvation unto his people by the remission of their sins, through the tender mercy of our God, whereby the day spring from on high hath visited us, to give light to them that sit in darkness and in the shadow of death, to guide our feet into the way of peace. So Zacharias knew that the coming Messiah was to bring light. And of course, Jesus' own testimony in John, he uh, says that uh, he was with God in the beginning and he came as light. And uh, Matthew 4, if you want to turn there, verses 13 through 16. Matthew 4, and it's a, a similar passage. It's a, about a different story, though, about uh, different prophet. And leaving Nazareth, he came and dwelt in Capernaum, which is upon the sea coast, in the borders of Zabulon and Nephthalim, that it might be fulfilled, which was spoken by Esaias the prophet, saying, The land of Zebulun and the land of Nephilim, by the way of the sea, beyond Jordan, Galilee of the Gentiles, the people which sat in darkness saw great light, and to them which sat in the region and shadow of death, 
light is sprung up. My name, Douglas, means seeker of light. And uh, I've always appreciated having a, and knowing the significance of my name, and I have tried to live up to it. I've tried to seek light throughout my life and in my ministry and uh, in, to grow as a Christian, uh, getting more light and understanding more of God's will. And now a very, very familiar passage, but I want to read more than just the familiar part, the most familiar part, I should say, John chapter 3, starting with verse 16, but reading all the way to verse 21. And I want you to notice something here that maybe uh, hasn't been as obvious. John 3, 16, reading all the way through 21. And this verse, of course, probably everybody in here is very familiar with. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whosoever believeth in him should not perish but have everlasting life. For God sent not his son into the world to condemn the world, but that the world through him might be saved. He that believeth on him is not condemned, but he that believeth not is condemned already because he hath not believed in the name of the only begotten son of God. And this is the condemnation, that light is come into the world, and men loved darkness rather than light because their deeds were evil. Do you see that? Read that verse with me again. And this is the condemnation, that light is come into the world, and men loved darkness rather than light because their deeds were evil. For every one that doeth evil hateth the light, neither cometh to the light, lest his deeds should be reproved. But he that doeth truth cometh to the light, that his deeds may be made manifest, that they are wrought in God. So light is very, very important when it comes to our salvation. Understanding our salvation, what led to our knowledge of sin, knowledge that we're a sinner, we received light. The light's always there, but it's up to us to receive it or stay in the shadow, stay in darkness, avoid the light like a roach. I guess that was an effective illustration. I didn't even have it in my notes. I should add it if I ever teach this again. <laughs> we must be humbled. Now we see this in Saul's experience there where he was thrown to the ground. Figuratively, we have to be cast to the ground. We have to be low, lower ourselves to, to come to God. We don't come to God proudly. Yes, we can come boldly, the Bible says, but you can come boldly and humbly. You can't come proudly, though. That's the wrong attitude. You can't come to God and say, I deserve to be saved. If you feel that way, you're not really getting the light. You're not understanding what it means. 
He fell to the earth according to verse 4. Do you see that? If we, if, if we go back to uh, Acts chapter 9, we will have references to that. But you probably remember, we just read it a moment ago. Uh, we must be humbled. If we refuse to admit our need for the change that God wants in our lives, we will continue to kick against the pricks, so to speak. That's what Jesus said to Saul. It's hard for you to kick against the pricks. When, when God's on the other side, we're, I, I, there is a scientific principle, the third law of thermodynamics, uh, the third law of motion, I'm sorry. For every action, there's an opposite and equal reaction. I have a feeling that doesn't apply with God. <laughs> I think God's force is much stronger than any force that we could ever apply in our lives. So to Saul here, it was kicking against the pricks, Jesus said. He says, you know, you're, you're never going to win a tug of war or an arm wrestling match or any kind of contest against God. If you're against God, you're going to lose. So we have to see clearly who Jesus is. We must give up our own pride and submit to his word. And I want to read this passage of scripture. No need to turn there unless you just want to. 1 Corinthians 1, 26 through 31. For we see your calling. You see your calling, brethren, how that not many wise men after the flesh, not many mighty, not many noble are called, but God hath chosen the foolish things of the world to confound the wise. And God hath chosen the weak things of the world to confound the things which are mighty and base things of the world, and things which are despised hath God chosen, yea, and things that are not to bring to naught things that are, that no flesh should glory in his presence. But of him are ye in Christ Jesus, who of God is made unto us wisdom and righteousness and sanctification and redemption, that according as it is written, he that glorieth, let him glory in the Lord. So when we come to God, we can't come proudly. Or we're just, like Paul said, fighting against a shadow. Fighting the air. And also, our mission in life is a different mission. You see what happened with Saul of Tarsus? When he got saved. He no longer uh, caused havoc of the church. He no longer was the enemy of the cross, but he was its greatest champion and supporter and missionary. Uh, his life did a 180 degree turn. And our life changes and should change drastically when we're saved. We should be a totally different person because we are. It should be obvious that we are. Once we're saved, our mission should be totally different than it was before we were saved. Matthew 17, 1 and 2. And after six days, Jesus taketh Peter, James, and John, his brother, and bringeth them up to a high mountain apart and was transfigured. You probably know the story of the transfiguration. He was transfigured before them, and his face did shine as the sun. You see, the light 
was very obvious. His raiment was white as the light. They fell like Saul had done at his conversion. If you read that whole account there at the Mount of Transfiguration, they fell down. They just couldn't help it. It was overwhelming. But when they got up and got over that, brushed themselves off, first thing out of Peter's mouth was, hey, I have an idea. Let's build some tabernacles. And Jesus said, just be quiet, Peter, and listen. So this was the transfiguration. Have you ever wondered, what was the purpose of that? Why did that even happen? Why did Jesus transfigure himself before those men? I have many times. I'm not sure I have a real clear answer now, but I think because of what Jesus told them after the transfiguration had taken place and, and his last instructions, he said, don't tell anybody about this. That's curious, isn't it? You ever wonder, like, you know, I wonder about a lot of things when I study the Bible, but another one is, when Jesus heals a blind man and he says, don't tell anybody how you got healed. You ever wonder these things? You, you think about it and you say, Lord, give me light. Help me understand more about this. I know there's more to it. There's got to be a reason. Jesus just didn't do things for no reason. So why did the transfiguration take place? Well, if you read the story... I'll give you a hint because that's all I have. I don't really know a lot about it to give you an answer. This is why he did it, and I understand all about it. No, but I have a clue. Part of the reason stems from what he told them. He said, don't tell anybody about it until I'm resurrected. After my resurrection... You're going to remember this happened. Then you tell people about it. Now, why? Why would he not want them to tell people about this awesome event that was just mind-blowing? Because they wouldn't have been prepared. They wouldn't have had the whole story to tell. They wouldn't themselves have had any significance in it. They would have just said, we had this weird story. And it's like people we hear today tell ridiculous things without a point. Like jabbering in some language unknown. What's the point of that? Paul said, I would rather have five words of understanding than 10,000 words that nobody knows what you're talking about. See, and we know from reading through the New Testament that these disciples were, were devastated when Jesus was crucified. They were in no state of mind to give clear testimonies and a clear witness to people. Because they themselves were going through something that they didn't understand and 
they were struggling to deal with. They forsook the Lord when he needed them the most. Like us sometimes. But he said, after I'm raised from the dead. It's kind of ironic and curious because he knew they were going to go through such a difficult time that they really weren't going to be prepared to give an account of these kinds of situations. They weren't going to be stable enough in their Christian walk. And we're human. We, we have these kinds of things in our lives too. So he told his disciples not to mention the experience until after he was risen from the dead. He knew that they were going to go through some blinded eyes, so to speak. And that will become relevant in just a minute as we continue through this story of Saul's conversion. They were going to go through some blinded eyes experiences between the time of the transfiguration and the resurrection. After they had gone through those experiences, then they would see clearly they would have more light or understanding when they remembered back to the transfiguration. He told them clearly he was going to be crucified and raised in three days. They didn't even, they either didn't believe it, they conveniently forgot or got mixed up on the details. Now, how many days did he say he was going to be? No, they, they didn't even, it, was, it didn't become relevant to them until it happened. He rose, and then they, the Bible says the Holy Spirit reminded them. Then they remembered, and they remembered things like the transfiguration. Now, we'll go more quickly with points two and three. Point two is the voice, a voice. First, we saw a vision. That was the light. But now there's a voice. Remember, there was a question asked in verse 4. And we all must answer some basic questions in our lives. And especially if we're going to become a Christian, there's some very important questions to answer. And one is, who art thou, Lord? Who is the Lord? Who is Jesus? And Jesus asked other disciples on other occasions, who do men say that I am? But he wasn't doing that because that was, the answer was important. He did that as a setup for his next question, who do you say that I am? That's the important question there. It causes us to turn inside or inward to ask ourselves, who is the Lord? To me, who is the Lord? That is the great question for each of us to answer. Jesus' answer when... Saul asked him, who art thou? He said, I am Jesus, whom thou persecutest. Verse 5. And now, go. remember back to verse 17, when Ananias, putting his hand on, on him, said, Brother Saul, the Lord, even Jesus that appeared unto thee in the way as thou camest, hath sent me that thou mightest receive thy sight and be filled with the Holy Ghost. That's very important. But well, we'll come to that at the last point. 
But Ananias was an instrument used of God in the life of Saul. And, and he was there to help Saul receive his sight, to see some things that Saul didn't understand, obviously, or he wouldn't have been working against the Lord because Saul thought he was doing the right thing. You know that, right? Saul thought he was serving God when he was killing Christians because the Christians were Gentiles, right? Many of them. Uh, and that's who Paul ended up going to. But the Christians that were believing Jews, they were contrary to Paul's teaching of Judaism. And then these were Jews that, they weren't really Jews, they were followers of Jesus. So to him, they were like heathen. So until he understood that, well, Ananias was the first contact that Saul had to help him understand that. That, wait a minute, Jesus is Judaism. <laughs> He's the real thing. What Paul had been following was not true Jewish faith. Because Jesus was the fulfillment of all that Old Testament uh, all that was in the Old Testament. So it, he comes with information. And we all have important people that God sends into our lives. And that's what the connection I want you to make here to help us answer our questions. God causes us to ponder, and then God sends people into our lives. And we just need to listen to them and let God use them and learn from the wise Ananiases in our lives. Also, it creates direction for us when we listen. See, Paul, I mean Saul, I told you I was going to do that. Saul wasn't sure what, what to do next, right? He was, he was really in a, a quandary. Uh, you know, he's, now my life has changed. I can't go back to the Sanhedrin for instructions. Where am I going to get instructions from? Is Jesus going to always just show up and speak to me audibly? No, that's not going to happen. So what's going to happen? How am I going to get direction? How am I going to know what to do now? Ananias was that first step. And we all have people in our lives that are like Ananias to help us take the next step in our Christian life. Recognize that as God doing this for you. And then... Um, and then number three, the veil. The veil. I wanted to alliterate it, so I had the vision and the voice, and now the veil. And the veil is like, well, with Paul, it was called scales over his eyes. He was blinded, right? And that was for a purpose, too. I mean, maybe no more than just to illustrate, look, Paul, you're blind. You need to see Ananias is going to help you get your sight back in a literal sense, but also in a spiritual sense. Because Paul, he was uh, A-type personality, right? I mean, Paul was somebody that got things done. He was a mover and a shaker. And 
So he's going he's gonna to go off in all directions, or if he doesn't have a specific direction, he's going to do something, even if it's the wrong thing. If he believes it's the right thing, he's going to see that it gets done, right? So he needed this direction. And, and sometimes we're that way too, right? Or sometimes we're just plain out of it and just plain have no direction. Like there's a veil over our eyes. You know, when I was born, my mother went blind. And she was blind. Three days later, her sight came back. And I, I don't know if anybody ever knew the explanation, but for those three days, I'm sure it was quite a, a scary time for her. Um, and I don't know that I've had that effect on anybody since then, but I hope not. Uh, but there was a veil over our eyes in a spiritual sense before we got saved. And when we decided that we're going to admit we're sinners, that we need a Savior, and Christ died for us, and we put our faith in him and received him as our Savior and accepted God's gift of eternal life, and we were born again, we were saved, and then maybe we had to have assurance at some point and, and you know, re really understand more and get more light and more vision, a more clear vision. And then sanctification, and that never ends until we go to heaven. We're continuing to grow and get more light and understand more. But there was a clear veil, verse 18. Uh, we all must overcome this congenital blindness spiritually. We're not born knowing about salvation. We have to, the Holy Spirit has to convict us when we get old enough to know right from wrong and that we're sinners. So uh, that has to be removed. And God will allow us to have those, that veil or those scales removed if we just cooperate with his plan. And so here's, here's what we want to do. We need to understand that we're blind about some things. And sometimes we don't want to admit our blindness. We might have a nature of, uh, uh, by nature, have a know-it-all attitude. But that attitude will hinder us from learning God's will and getting God's direction. So let's not have that. And also, secondly, we need to recognize that there are other people that we need help from. And don't be afraid to get help from somebody else. And, then, and you know, there's, it also works both ways. There are people we can help too. It doesn't have to be one way or the other. But we do, it needs to be both actually. Like Philip helped the Ethiopian in the book of Isaiah to understand. Ananias helped Saul. And then lastly, this is the final point. And I think it's a very important one, but we don't need to spend a lot of time on it because it's a whole other lesson. And that is Ananias's last words to Saul in, in that particular conversation. We need to be filled with the Holy Spirit. Did you notice that phrase there that Ananias said, you're going to not only receive your sight, but you will be 
filled with the Holy Ghost. Please don't miss the importance of the final comment of Ananias. He needed to be filled with the Holy Spirit. God's eager. I mean, the Bible teaches us God is anxious to fill you with the Holy Spirit. But you have to activate that potential by emptying yourself. Let's pray. Our Heavenly Father, Lord, we thank you once again for the privilege, the opportunity to open your word tonight and study it. We ask you to go with us and uh, guide us throughout this week and help us to accomplish your purpose in our lives, not just our own, but may our purpose be the same.